They say, and even I've said, don't meet your heroes. If you've followed along with me long enough, you have definitely heard some pretty cringy stories about me meeting celebrities that I love and it not really going great. And you know what? I bet people have met me and it didn't go great. I think we put so much expectation and pressure on meeting folks that we admire that, quite frankly, the fantasy is much better than ever meeting them in real life. And with that, I would like to take this opportunity to say, Erica Badu, if you are listening and you see me in the street, please just like run away. I, I will definitely try to meet you. And I, I, I think it will just be better if, if I don't. I posted on Instagram a couple of months ago, really a love letter and fangirl over Kat Sadler. And for those of you living under a rock or are not interested in entertainment, which would be very confusing as to why you are listening to this podcast, but whatever, Kat Sadler is a fucking legend in the entertainment hosting space. She had tons of shows on E! for over 12 years. She's hosted the Vanity Fair Oscar Party Red Carpet, Harper's Bazaar. She's had podcasts. She's interviewed legitimately every single celebrity and icon ever of the last 20 years. And um, she's also the mother of two handsome boys. And she seems to be down with rescue dogs and hot yoga, which I'm very into. Kat is also very well known for walking away from E! in late 2017 after finding out that her colleague Jason Kennedy made double and a half her salary and E! was unwilling to renegotiate her contract in a way that she felt comfortable with. I remember it very clearly and I remember the stories and I remember how sensationalized it was, but it was an interesting time and you know, it was also an interesting time for me because at that time I was trying to desperately sell a show called Getting Nailed, where I got my nails done with celebrities to eat and they were interested in it. So I was going to NBC like a lot and I was meeting with the casting directors and I remember very clearly them telling me, you know, what it took to be on air there. And it is wild. It is a ton of work. Kat goes into it later on. So I never ended up being on E, so I want to make sure uh, the person that actually knows talks about it. But it is, it's like nuts. And I was so in awe of her standing up for herself. And I remember it being such a big deal. And it really affected me. In random, but also very Liz Cully is maybe like the new Kevin Bacon twist of events. Her former assistant and sometimes co-host on her current podcast, Kate, is an acquaintance of mine that actually helped me find Alexis, who is the lovely editor on this show. And um, I just helped Kate and her girlfriend, Sarah, get a publicist for her new sober-focused pop-up in Culver City, clear-headed. And I was like, oh my God, I got to ask you what it was like to intern for Kat and now be colleagues with her. I love when all of my worlds collide. Like I, it, you know what I mean? I was just yeah. like sitting there and like researching Kat. And I'm like, wait, Kate is on her podcast all the time? And then I'm like, <laughs> wait, she was her assistant? Like she posted about you in her Instagram when you started, I think when you announced the pop-up. 
yeah. on TV. And I was like, oh my God, this is wild. I know. It's full blown evolution with Kat and me and just an incredible gift career wise and like personally. And I didn't even start as an assistant. I started as an unpaid intern because that's just how bad I wanted to like learn and explore which we could go get into unpaid internships in a whole other episode of like, it's such a privilege to be able to do an unpaid internship. And I definitely took that opportunity and was very fortunate that I could. Sure. Um, and worked my little ass off to prove that I could hang. And that turned into personal assisting, which turned into kind of like a mentorship in some regard. Sure. And that evolved into co-hosting. And now I feel like I we've graduated into like a friendship, which is very nice. So you probably don't know this, but I saw her driving down the street on Beverly, rolled down my window, was borderline in tears and was like, you are a fucking G. You are a role model. You are amazing. Because I had been going through, you know, some like work stuff at that time, which when I interview her in this episode, I end up like kind of sharing with her and, you know, Walking away from E, especially as somebody who had watched her those 12 years and had been such a fan, but really putting her foot down and being like, no, fuck you. I need to get paid appropriately. And I, you know, I'm going to put myself above this was really, I mean, powerful and inspirational. Did you worked with her? I'm assuming after that. Yes, I worked with her after that. I worked with her, gosh, COVID years, like make everything muddy. But I think it was like, just before it had been like the one year mark of her leaving. Okay. So it was like that first whirlwind year of like, she's doing, she she was like getting in more and more into the catwalk. And that's where I interned to like learn that side of things. Cause I just admired her so much. And I remember I saw the posting that they were taking internships and I was like, told my boyfriend at the time, ha 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 ha. What a fun phase, men. Um, <laughs> I was like, I don't know if I should, do I support, like, do I apply? Like, I don't know. Should I, I don't think I'm going to get it. What am I? No, I'm not going to get that. I'm not going to get that. And he was like, just apply, like, just do it. And I did. And I'm, it was like the best, probably the best thing I got out of that relationship because I, like, he was just like, go for it. And because I went for it, it then like, set the wheels in motion of this evolving dynamic. And it was so unique to be a part of her life in a more intimate work setting when she was that like vulnerable and yeah. when she was that like the I don't I don't know how to explain it. Like she was so on a different tier professionally than I was even familiar with. But at the same time, there is like this duality of being just as new to it as I was. And so like experiencing it from like interning for this powerful established woman who is still trying to navigate the news, the newness of the ins and outs of like uploading photos and how do you do this and right. creating your own like avenue was so beautiful, like so cool to experience because it's very rare. Yeah. What I liked about my discovery, finding out that you had gone from, well, now I know intern, assistant, kind of colleague, and now co-host 
mm-hmm. is that she really walks the walk and talks the talk. And I think what I find in a lot of different industries is people can kind of say, oh, support, you know, the generation after you. And, you know, especially as women, we have to support each other. And then nothing actually happens with it. And, you know, I shared with her, I had this boss who I just absolutely looked up to and adored. And I had, you know, been asking for more money. And she sort of faked the funk, like supporting me, like, yeah, 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 ask for more money. And then when I did it and it didn't happen, she she was just so full of shit and Mm. it was so painful. And she, when I quit, because I was like, well, you guys aren't respecting me and I'm worth more and I'm going to go explore other opportunities. Like, thank you for this opportunity. It was very painful, but she totally stopped speaking to me and it broke, it really like actually broke my heart and I'm over it now. It took two years, but a lot of people don't actually do what they say. And so I sort of loved it. I'm like, oh my God, like, I love that you guys are still connected and working together. And obviously you have, you know, uh, you just launched a pod or not only do you have the podcast, but a pop-up you have clear headed, you know, with Sarah and and that's so cool. And that she supports you. And it's just a lot, it's, it's sad that it doesn't happen. It's sad that I'm so surprised by it, but yeah, I loved it. I loved it. And, you know, my interactions with her from like waving her down on Beverly and then we had like the social media exchange during like the height of COVID. And then I ended up seeing her at a work event. She's just been so kind to me every time, you know what I mean? And like gave me an hour of her time and was totally cool. And it's just, I, I wanted to talk to you and get like your perspective on it because it's like, she actually is the real deal, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The best thing that I've gained from working from Kat is learning about transparency and expectations because look at the end of the day, we're all hustling. We're all doing our own shit and you got to prioritize yourself because no one else is going to, and no one else should be expected to Mm. like my business is mine. Hers is hers. Yours is yours. And there's space for all of us. How you get there isn't You don't always get to where you're going because somebody else like full on hands it to you. And I think I was, I just, I don't know, like the dynamic between her and I was so transparent and honest Mm. that it's not like, I think that lended to the relationship being as strong as it was. I knew what my ex, I knew what I could ask for and I knew what I couldn't. And And she knew what she could give me and she knew what she couldn't. So there was a lot of like, honesty and rawness and like I can't do that right now I want this right now I need this right now I can't give this right now and really I think that communication was like the strongest part of our working relationship that then lended to the evolution in like a professional co-host you know that growth was really because of the communication yeah as you're building your own business now what is something that you learn from Kat that like as a boss, manager, mentor, you will absolutely do with people that you bring on? Oh, there's so much. I think kindness gets you a lot further than harshness does. Hmm. And I think truly being present for the people who are supportive of you is the most under used asset that you can have in business is being present for those who are showing up for you. 
Hmm. She was always incredibly present with me. And I exactly like I'm sure she was incredibly present with you in the hour. She was present when you were waving her down on Beverly. Like when people come to support you, you should show back up for them. And I think that I knew that before, but she applies it in a different way that now I try to carry that same presence with whether it's at this pop up people coming in or like right now with you just being there because you miss things when you're not. And um, yeah, I'd be curious to to hear her perspective on that too. Like if she even knows how present she comes across sometimes. I I would be, yeah, I should um, email her and ask because I (laughs) recorded with her and I don't want to take any more of her time. But you are, first of all, I love that answer. And I love that you learned that from her. And I really, really struggle with being present and it particularly affects my wife and she hates it and she should and it sucks and it's not great and I'm on my phone or I'm fucking emailing or I'm thinking about a million things and it's really disrespectful and it's not nice and so it's so that perspective I love one thank you that's such a great reminder and two you're right like she gave me her undivided attention and she seemed happy to be there and she was completely on time and like all of those things I think really I mean I'm never late typically Mm -hmm. but um I think being present you're right is something that we don't think about like professionally and personally and how much that matters but yeah cats like real real present. I love that. I'm going to try. I need to, that is something I have to practice all the time. And by the way, like Sarah hates it. I'm not as uh, the most present for her either. Like, it's not like you can just like take that and apply it in every fucking aspect of your life. And often like, uh if you have Sarah and I'm back on, I'm sure she'll have like a full opinion of this, but like she gets the brunt of it. She gets like Presence takes a lot of energy. So then yeah. at the end of the day, when you're laying in bed next to your beloved, you're like, yeah, I'm going to scroll. I'm going to scroll TikTok and I'm going to zone out. And I'm not always going to turn and ask some in-deep, thoughtful questions to you. Now, is that right? Maybe not. But is that human? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, in business, it's been just the most pivotal thing. Yeah. And opportunities for me. Kate is so lovely and so smart. And I want to be her. And I'm so glad that I spoke with her actually after I interviewed Kat because it was wonderful to hear her perspective on growing as a professional with Kat and then also growing, you know, as a person as well during that time. I mean, seriously, I know a lot of entertainment folks that never give their assistants opportunities like while they're working for them and definitely not after. So the fact that Kat has nurtured this relationship in such an incredible way and meaningful way for Kate just like is a testament to what a badass she is. I'm not going to lie to you. I was wildly nervous to talk to Kat. Not because she's intimidating, because she has been legitimately lovely via all of our interactions, but because I know she knows her shit. And honestly, she did not need to give me 59 minutes of her time. Like she did not. And she was so focused and so kind and so thoughtful. And I just, you know, really like available more than anything. And I love her transparency and her kindness. And really, I learned a lot 
researching about you, I think another thing we have in common that I didn't realize, even though you're not from the Bay Area, it sounds like you had a show in the Bay. Is this real? Yes. The Bay Area beat in the late 90s, early yes. 2000s? Are you? Is that where you're from, born and raised? San Francisco. Oh, wow. Wow, wow, wow. Oh my gosh, yeah, San Francisco has so much of my heart. Wait, isn't that a song? I left my heart in San Francisco. Correct. Anyway, um, yeah, that was where I got my very first TV job. And that's that was, you know, I kind of like to call my stint in San Francisco from 97 to 2001 as kind of like my second college experience, like my real life learning experience in the game, in the entertainment industry. You probably remember because you're from there, but were you even born in 97? Please tell me you were. <laughs> I'm borderline 40 years old. Okay, so good, yes, good, actually, good, good. I think 97 from 2001 was kind of the last good era of San Francisco because uh, then it got like techie and weird. I know. I you know. know. And, and too expensive and out of control. And yeah, there. I know San Francisco has certainly changed a lot since I've been there. But for me, it was this really charmed existence of like, it was my first full-time TV job. I remember this day, like what they offered me money-wise, life-wise. I had to pick up my whole life, move across country in my little Honda Civic and, and pretty much fake it till I made it on that show. It was the WB back when the WB had networks. Yes, WB20. For those listening who don't recall the Buffy the Vampire Slayer days, like, so we were on that network and they wanted kind of young and hip and kind of interesting young people to be on TV, which is kind of unheard of at that time when sure. TV was the only medium long before our phones and everything. Um, so that was like a dream come true job for me, but I was terribly green. I did not know what I was doing. I was like producing my own pieces, doing my own interviews, live TV. It was a live TV oh show. God. I was 21 years old. I mean, it was a wild time, but I have nothing but fond memories of living there. I got engaged there. I got pregnant with my first son in San Francisco. So yeah, the Bay Area, near and dear to my heart. My son was born there. So it's oh, great. Oh, okay. Yeah. Did you always want to be a TV journal? Like, did you always want to be a TV journalist? Did you want to be just a journal? Like, talk me through a little bit of that. I wish I could say I just wanted to be a journalist. Far too vain. Wanted to be on TV for sure. <laughs> I, you know what it was? I was actually a performer before I was a storyteller, I guess. Like I was in all the plays and musicals growing up. I was Little Red Riding Hood when I was in fifth grade. I did love the arts. There was something about coming to life on a stage for me at a young age that I really enjoyed. And, and that, when you're from Indiana, born and raised, um, that seemed somehow more of a plausible thing to do than TV. Because at least you could be in the plays, you could be in community theater, you could right. do whatever, you know, you could do that kind of thing. Um, it wasn't until like high school when I was like really you know, watching Oprah every day at four. And then, you know, some of my heroes were, were journalists, Diane Sawyer and Katie Couric, you know, again, dating myself. Um, but so finally, when I got to college, I did decide broadcast journalism would be the route for me, you know, but I am glad I studied journalism because you do learn to write, you learn to write for TV. You, there were, there were a lot of skills that I picked up in school then. And I know so few people actually like go to school for what they actually do today. And you know, a lot of people aren't even going to school because it's like, what's the point? Um, but for me, it really was, um, it kind of served me and helped groom me into deciding what my career trajectory would look like. 
It's funny. I was just on a different podcast talking about um, kind of me coming down to Los Angeles and acting. And I went to SFSU for broadcast journalism. I mean, really, I am a creepy. This is probably why I cry. I'm like, there it is. Um, but I, you know, I had worked at the Chronicle. They gave me the tenderloin, though, as the beat, Ooh. which I was like, do y'all just want to kill a young girl? Yes. Oh. That was my beat. Was Does the, the fucking... tenderloin still exist? Yes. And is it, it is still called the tenderloin? Still called the tenderloin. I think there's some areas they've, um, some kind of newbies have called the tender knob, which is bullshit, but it was terrifying. And it was exactly what any san franciscan or somebody who had lived there would think it would be it was just like gangs drugs and robberies and i'm like and oh and a lot of prostitution at that time because oh yeah you know all those um strip clubs were there yeah anyway so that was really fun so i came down to la and i too i'd gone to act and i was acting but i had such a hard time ryan and i ryan bailey and i had met at the leslie con acting school and at that time like i was kind of doing stuff and not and the internet was taking shape in a different, you know, like YouTube people were really starting to make their own uh, own content mm -hmm. and tell their own stories. And it's so funny because I remember the moment when I was like, this acting stuff isn't even fun. I'm saying like, oh, line or two, or that's like what I'm auditioning for, right? Like you're not really, to your point, like you're not doing plays and you're not actually mm -hmm. in the arts. You're kind of just reciting like a line or two mm -hmm. and it's about what you look like. There was a moment for me when I really kind of thought to myself, well, wait, like I'm actually really different and interesting and I I want to play myself mm. on, on the screen. Did you yeah. ever have that kind of moment where you're like, wait a minute, I'm actually like, I'm very, like I want to be myself. I'm very interesting. I want to answer that. Don't let me forget to tell you my tenderloin story because oh, I, I want, because I have a really good story about that. Um. That is a really interesting question with probably an interesting answer. I don't know, to be honest. There is a part of me. It's funny that we are touching on this exact topic today because I am in this season of my life now where I'm very much finally best thing about getting older, best thing about kind of having a second act, I think. It's like, what the fuck really makes me feel alive? Like, what do I want to do? And, and what haven't I done? And what am I scared of? And why am I scared of it? And, and for me, that actually is acting because, mm. um, because I have played myself for however long. And even my own podcast now, I I'm definitely exercising the muscle of using my own voice and expressing myself and having a point of view and all these things, which that E didn't necessarily allow me to do because I was still working for somebody else. And I was still reading a script many times and I was still like limited with my time. I was on television and that kind of thing. So the podcast space has definitely allowed me to share of myself more. And that's not always easy, but I have enjoyed that. And the people who do follow me or come to listen, tell me they really, really appreciate that. Having said that, there is this part of me that's like, I don't want to be me and I want to drown in being something else. And I want right. to be in a character and I want to lose myself in something else in the art of acting. And I had this crazy conversation with my kids the other day. Cause I was like, guys, we we're like driving down the one Oh one or something. They are almost 18 and 21. And my oldest son is actually in film school and he wants to be a director and he's super into the arts. And I said, what would you think if I just went out on some auditions and I maybe, maybe I should just be an actress. What would you guys think of that? And they were so crazy 
cute and supportive. It, speaking of wanting to cry, they were like, mom, that sounds easy. Like you've been on live TV. You've been around the world. You're like, you have to be on for four hours and like take up space and come up with words and actually use your brain. Like acting, you could probably do that in your sleep. And I was like, you think so? You know, it was one of those kind of things. So I definitely still have a desire. I feel like that's the untapped part of my creative that I have yet to really explore. And yes, what everyone's thinking is probably what my negative narrative in my head is, which is like, who wants some almost 50 year old, you know, woman on, you know, like as if I'm going to break into the acting business now at this point in my life. But why, why not? not? I actually not? would say, look at who, because obviously, you know what I do. Well, maybe sort of what I do for work work. But like my whole life is watching the awards right now. And the women that are yeah. winning the awards right now are averaging 50, yes. 60, yes. like yes. Jamie Lee Curtis. Yes. I mean, let's not. I know. I actually think, Michelle, I mean, there. I don't think. Yes. Like, why can't you? Jennifer start? Coolidge, Molly Shannon, like, these, Molly's you know, a dear I mean, friend of mine. I'm like, some of these women are hitting their stride right now. Correct. Although they've been at it for 20, 30 years. That, that's the difference is I'm, I would be kind of be a, a bit of a newcomer to the game. But I, I, I might just go on that journey, list. I might just see what comes up. As somebody that has done um, only one really, really failed live TV um Oh, God. It was basically a live TV audition. I interviewed in front of P. Diddy on Revolt TV Live um, to be like one of their new sort almost like a VJ. And my inner ear, all the ears went out. And it was, I would say, having to come up with conversation with yourself with a stranger celebrity on live TV. Even I think it was just a couple of minutes. It felt like hours. I think if you can do that, which you have been on red carpets for hours, dealing with different personalities, dealing with loud, like having someone in your ear, dealing with the loud screaming. I think you, I agree with the kids. I think you can kill this and it's your time. Would you ever do reality? Like if housewife, if Andy calls you, would you go and be a housewife? Well, that's a, Fun fact, I I was in the mix for this upcoming Beverly Hills cast uh, last summer, I guess it was. And I was in talks with like an EP. It wasn't Andy, but there was the casting director and EP. And they did reach out to me and they, I don't, would I ever? Of course. I mean, never say never. Um, that didn't pan out for me. And there was a little bit of a sense of relief, I think, in that. And I, and again, I never, ever want to disparage those women because, I mean, they are talk about working. I mean, I know what kind of work that requires. I don't know if that would be the fit for me. That show, I'm kind of on some real different shit right now. I'm on some meditative stuff. I'm on some healing. Like I'm in a I'm like not even drinking right now. I'm kind of on this personal growth season of mine. Um, and so I don't know that that would have been the right show. but. Yes, I miss TV and I would do reality. I think I'm more interested in curating and creating some some more meaningful content, to be honest. Um, what that is exactly, I don't know. But that is on the list of 2023 of things I really want to sink my teeth into to try and develop. Yeah, you don't having one of my closest friends is, a well, I guess she's now not a housewife because New York has changed. but. I'm pretty, and the last show we had, you know, my co-host was Andy's longtime assistant. So I'm very Bravo adjacent and um, was actually talking to Heather Gay this morning. And oh. it, which 
what a third season. Um, <laughs> I, I think your whole how I view you as a fan is that's not really your brand. I think what's really tough with the housewives, and I'm sure I can get in trouble for saying this, is the reality of it is like the core of those shows. And when we say they're successful season is when they're the most turbulent and the, it's the women fighting the most. Mm. And I think given what you've done professionally and personally, especially with, you know, how unequal opportunities are for women, especially from a financial perspective, it wouldn't like totally make sense. I feel like you would you would struggle. I think you'd be yeah. like, why the fuck are we making up a fight in the yeah. middle of catch steak on Melrose? Like That's everybody chill. Like, yes, you're you're precisely right. And it's not that I'm better than that. It's that I, I did do entertainment for 20 plus years, you know, that has been my beat and it's, I still love it. And I still am so interested in it. And I get the escapism of shows like that. I just think I'm supposed to be used some somewhere else. Right. I don't know what that is entirely, but, um, I'll just be a fan and I'll just watch those kind of shows for now. But I, Do I you don't watch those I, kind of shows. Do you like- I'm a little, I, you know, I, to this day, I feel like I just watch a little bit of everything. That's sure. always kind of been my thing. Cause like, like you, you know, when you interview people, it's kind of like, you just need to know enough, but it's almost impossible to keep up with all of it. Um, those aren't the shows I binge. The shows I binge <laughs> are like really deep dark dramas or, you know, the white lotuses of the world, things that, you know, I like the white lotus. I love, um, I just watched 1883. Have you seen 1883 uh, yet? Obviously also already what, I mean, they're putting us on pause for 1923, but I'm deep into that as well. I know they're making us wait till Sundays for 1923. So I guess I, when I do really like spend hours on hours streaming stuff, it's more along those lines. That makes sense. Uh, same. I, I also sometimes find the yelling of the reality shows like very triggering and it freaks me out. But I do love Love After Lockup, which is like the gnarliest <laughs> reality show. But it's just it's like <sighs> it's reality magic. Um, You know, the entertainment, I think, you know, kind of and I think I mentioned this to you when I saw you at the Vanity Fair party. I did a couple rounds of auditions for weird shows at E! And, you know, it's a small when you do the hosting stuff, it gets small and it also gets pretty competitive. Mm -hmm. And I've been in mm -hmm. some situations that I've been navigating over the last couple of years where, you know, like I've had a co-host and sometimes the person you're interviewing likes that person more than you. I've been on both ends of it. You know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. do you find that the podcasting space is mm. less competitive, more collaborative, even though it's so saturated and really quite competitive? Or do mm. you think, you know, it kind of mirrors the entertainment more traditional industry? Whoa. I think every industry has its own set of problems. Sure. Um, I, I haven't figured out the formula of the podcast space yet. And maybe that's to your point that maybe there isn't one because you look at some of the shows that are crazy successful and it's, and, and you're like, well, you know, why isn't my show, you know, making yep. that much money or why am I not booking that many ads or why, you know, when, you know, you put something really, really quality forth into the world. And then, you know, you know, so I love that anybody can do it. I I'm so, I, I had a Tabitha Brown on my show this week, you know, she's such a talent she's blown up and it's like, thank God for our phones. Thank God for just these mics. Thank God that we can order this equipment off of Amazon and anybody can literally do this from their basement. I, I love the access to the podcast world, but, but yeah, 
I find it collaborative, I suppose. I mean, if, if there's any issue there, it might be on me. Like I'm in partnership with Dear Media, which is a big network for people who may not know that, you know, hosts or I should say distributes mostly female hosts content and programming. And, and they've been wonderful. And they, they are like, I love that they are my team, but other than like the edits that they, you know, help me with at the end, you know, I am producing everything. I am booking everything. I, I, but I love that because I have such the creative control that I've always desired for the conversations that I'm putting forth. So I find them to be collaborative to the point that I want to put in the energy for them to be collaborative. You know what I mean? I think that's like in every business what you put in, you will get out. And, you know, that's different for everybody. I, I I will just say that I am, it's a bit of a head scratcher again, why people listen, who listens, you know, how people find you, I think is really difficult in the yes. podcast space because I have, you know, my core fan base or the people who, you know, know me for me or have watched over the years and have kind of followed and kept up with my career. And yeah, they're listening, but but we want everybody listening, right? We want I want to reach people who don't have a clue who I am just because the interviews are interesting or just because the conversations are thought-provoking, you know? So it's a little tricky to find and market and position your show, I think, in this space because it is, as you said, so saturated. And some of the traditional marketing uh, efforts don't really work. I don't think, I mean, I've had two podcasts now and at first it was like, you know, it doesn't seem to make a difference if you're like, suddenly your show's popping up in us weekly or something, or, you know, like, you know, people even go to that to, to, to get their news. I don't even know anymore. I should have said that out loud, but, uh, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like in the, there was a time when you knew how to, how to market and position and make noise about what you were doing. And I don't even know that that the typical like PR route of getting, making noise about your show really even moves the needle on listenership. I don't know. I really appreciate this conversation because my last show, we were getting like hit at, I mean, Us Weekly, like the whole thing. And I also know how, I mean, we were producing, we had a production partner, but we were really booking every, same thing. I think it's so, people don't realize like how hands-on it truly is. And I think the better quality shows, you can tell that they're pretty hands-on um, like yours. Like, you know, it's not just going in there and ha- like ad hocking. It's like, no, you really yeah. have an intention as to how you want to frame up that episode. Um, but we like we had a guy tell us about a love child that he had, Justin, like Kristen Cavallari's best friend, who Justin Anderson, who's a doll. And he like love admitted him. to having a love child on our show, it went everywhere. It's like in Australia, it's in China. It's like, what, why are we in China? Like on a blog and listen, did that singular episode do well? It did, but it didn't translate. And you know, we would have huge, huge guests on and those episodes would do okay. And then we would have like solo episodes and those would crush. I mean, I just talked about some woman scamming me for an oven and it's like, I can't stop getting listens on that. And so. I do. It's very strange. The one thing I've figured out, and I guess that's why I asked about the collaborative aspect of it, is I've met really amazing friends and women in it. Like, I'm really good friends with Amanda, not skinny, not fat. She really helped me put me on her show. I've She's done mine. Like, there's that kind mm. of like pod swapping situation. Yes, yes, yes. That seems to 
I think, unified different audiences, which I think is interesting. Mm -hmm. But what I like about it is that I do think it kind of tames the competitive nature a little bit where, you know, at least we can go talk to each other and commiserate about whenever our partners and our podcasts and what have you. But it is a trick. It's a saturated, tricky space. Do you know who I just found out lives six doors down from me? Who? Mark fucking Marin. Oh, shit. Right? <laughs> oh, gee. Yes. Oh, gee whiz. Like, talk about. And yes. it was so funny because I always said to my wife, and I live in Glendale. And I said to my wife, I'm like, somebody famous lives in this house. And she's like, Liz, nobody lives. No one is famous that lives. I'm like, no, I think so because I see a lot of black cars. I'm like, mm. I'm not, you know, listen, we lived in West Hollywood for 15 years. I'm from San Francisco. I know a black car when I see a black. I'm like, mm, I don't know. Something seemed a little weird about this. And we were walking down the street. True story. <laughs> She goes, oh, Liz, do you see somebody famous in there? I'm like, shut the fuck up. And we like go walking the dog and we come back. And all of a sudden, standing out on the deck is Mark Marin. Like, hey, how you doing? Hey, girl. Hey, ladies. And we were like, what the fuck? Oh, and I walk. I'm like, gosh. oh, my God. That's the studio. Like, so right. Oh, my gosh. You just got to piggyback and go get yourself some guests. Just park yourself at the end of the driveway. Oh, yeah. Be like, see uh, if Obama. We're the sequel. We're the sequel. Cool, cool, cool. Right over here. Right over here. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey, Obama. How you, how, sir, Mr. President, how you doing? Uh, come on over. Um, but you yeah, the no. warm up. Maybe you're the warm up show to his show. Hey, you know, but opportunity. Listen, you know, he started his podcast in 2009. Like, yeah. let me tell you, yeah. that's a real pot. That's the real thing. Right. So. Yeah, it, it's a it's an interesting space. It's crazy how saturated it is, but I do think people tend to feel at home when they listen listen to the shows. And I think you being as mm-hmm. open as you are talking about co parenting, your health and wellness journey, your rich saddy boyfriend from Malibu who you know I love <laughs> so much. Tell him I said hi. He's so cute. The kids, like the whole thing. And I think having really honest conversations with a lot of women. I think people feel like they're getting to know you in a whole another way. It must be quite cathartic to talk about such mm. personal things on air. Is it or is it or do you yeah. sometimes like second guess and want to edit? Mm. Mostly it's just cathartic. I yeah. do love it. And uh, and the response, I mean, I'm sure that helps. Like, let's say I did like three solo episodes and nobody listened. I probably wouldn't be as inclined to keep going. Right. But the <laughs> response is so positive. And people just want more, more, more. And they continue to say like, okay, we love it when you have guests, but what about you? Like, so now my thinking is even with my interview episodes, I'm trying to add a little more personal stuff at the beginning just to stay connected with, you know, it, it is like having a, a good friend or, or even a family member. Shit. I mean, I told people a couple weeks ago that I literally had shit in two weeks. Like I'm telling people everything. Oh my God. And I so, hope you figured that out. Oh, uh, we're figuring it out. We're figuring it out. But, but yeah, you kind of, it's like, now I feel a bit of a obligation to like, keep going because people invest and people do spend like an hour is a long time, you know, for people to spend on your life that I feel like, I'll just give an example to your point earlier about, you know, sometimes the solo episodes do so, so well. And the big names don't even do as well as you think they might, but I did an episode last year, What I Eat in a Day. And that was literally my producer, Marshall, saying, people loved it. That They love this stuff. Like, you should just do it. It's catchy. You know, it's very like, and personally, I think it's a little younger than my actual demographic, but I was like, sure, I'll do it. You know, people have asked me that. I did that, but it was in my top five of the year. 
literally what I eat. Like, so I what do you eat in a day? It. What are the? Is, I don't even it, know. Is it the like, same every day? I know because well, I just did a sequel because it did so well. I'm gonna go. People, this is what people want. Give them what they want. That was a year ago. Now I'm telling them what I eat in a day. That's why I had the no poop conversation with everybody two weeks ago. But I will just say, like, I don't want to chase what I think they want either. I think you have to be really careful. And at the end of the day, I always try to just come back to whatever feels the most authentic, the most organic, the most true to me is what I'm going to keep doing. Like, even if that means a slow build, you know, it's a long game with a podcast, that's fine. People will find me, but I have to continue to do what I do. And like you said, I, I think there's room for everybody, you know, like everybody can do well in this game and it's, it's fine. I, I'm not worried about the competition. Like all we can do is run our race. It's like what Oprah used to say, just run your race, you know, not don't, don't even be looking over here. Just run your race and do, do, do that. Do you the best that you know how is there so anybody, cliche, but it, it's true. No, it's true. Is there anyone you haven't interviewed? I mean, you've really straight up interviewed or at least met pretty much everyone. Is there anybody left that you're like, damn, I'd actually really like to have them on my podcast Mm. or like have a good conversation Mm. with them? Of course. Of course. I mean, that's the other hard part when you work for yourself is that, you know, I don't have a big network now with a huge booking department who can promise Faith Hill, for example, or Selena Gomez, for example, that they're going to get millions of hits from them taking hits from them taking an hour out of their day. Like it is a it is people's lives and time is valuable. So it's, it is hard to say, oh, well, yeah, I've interviewed everybody in Hollywood. So why won't Selena Gomez come on my damn podcast? Well, it's hard, you know, and it doesn't mean I'm not still working on it. It doesn't mean I don't know her makeup artist. It doesn't mean I'm just like, timing was terrible. I was pitching her really, really hard when she was dropping her documentary. But literally that week, Kaylee Bieber comes out with her interview over on Alexander Cooper's podcast. And then so all of these elements are at play and the probably average listener who's not in our industry doesn't realize all that, but it's like, I'm working on it. Yes, of course I have people that I want to be in conversation with mostly because this space, in my opinion, is the best space to have conversations. You're not on a red carpet where you're limited to three minutes. You're not, you know, maybe in a couture gown where you're just so worried about how you look that you're not really saying how you feel or what you think, you know? There are the whole team of publicists surrounding you at every corner. So you don't really get to have an authentic exchange. So I love this space. And yes, I'd love to have Selena Gomez on. I'm fascinated by her story. Uh, I want to have Faith Hill on just because I'm such a fan of 1883 now. And I think she's a badass and was brilliant as an actress in that show. Um, I'd love to have a follow-up Jim Carrey conversation. You know, I had a conversation with him that went viral. And to this day, people ask me about that interview. And so I've been really chipping away at getting him to just, let's just sit down and talk. We don't need to be at the Harper's Bazaar icons party to talk about existentialism. Let's like really get into it. Right. You have a seat, Jim, you know, so there are for sure dream guests that I have and that, you know, I will continue to, that's what I do. That's what people don't see on social media. I'm over here emailing. I'm over here DMing. I'm over here who knows who, and just trying to um, get people to, to come and play. I would be remiss if I don't. And we don't need to talk about it too much because I think a lot of people know your story with E and you really in a time 2017 or was it 2018? Mm-hmm. That you December. Left, right? Yep. December 2017. And that was really right as Me Too movement was early 2018 that had come mm-hmm. out. I think mm-hmm. Time's Up was 
also that year as well. And you were thrusted sort of in, I think, those two conversations while separate, obviously Mm -hmm. running sort of parallel to each other. Do you still get a lot of, you know, comments and questions about bringing um, that all to let, you know, the discrepancy in pay was like, what, almost double and a half what your male Mm -hmm. counterpart who had probably less experience than you, if not similar. Mm -hmm. So it was pretty unequal. Do you still get questions about that? Mm. As I'm asking you the question right now on this podcast. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I do. <laughs> as a matter of fact, I do. You know what? I will talk about it all day long. I will. And yes, I do still get questions. I get questions, you know, when I do interviews from the press, I get questions from young girls in, you know, ass making a documentary or a school project about, you know, equal pay. Like I I love speaking to it. And it is wild to think, however, that here we are five years later, and it does still feel like yesterday. And the story is very fresh in my mind. You know, you asked me when it was, and I'm like, oh yeah, it was December 20th, 2017. Like that was such a seismic moment for me. Um, unknowingly, you know, like I, I made that decision with the information that I had, but what I couldn't predict is how the world was going to respond. I never, ever did it because I thought there was going to be some super massive rollout or, or noise or story attached to my own experience. I really, really didn't. Um, so yeah, it, it became a very, uh, very much my purpose especially in the year after, or even two years after, you know, I was constantly at marches and I was, you know, on the steps of, you know, city hall in New York. And I was doing a lot of campaigns surrounding equal pay and and getting what you're worth and doing a lot of initiatives that really shine a light on negotiations and that piece and, you know, all the important parts about pay equality. Um, And I learned so much, Liz. I mean, that the crazy part looking back is, I used to always wonder, I knew my time would eventually come to an end at E. I'd been there 12 years and I'd watched so many regimes come and go from executives to talent to hosts, give their speeches and say goodbye. And I would always sit there and watch them and go, I wonder what my departure is going to look like. I wonder what I'll say on my last day and all these things. And I never could have predicted God, what a what an exit. I didn't yeah, that think was it was going to be like one. that. <laughs> it was a big exit. And It was me too in the news in 2017 that actually gave me the courage in many ways to speak up and to use my voice because I saw all of these women who were my heroes, these, you know, the best of the best in the industry speaking out for the first time, you know, um, Jennifer Lawrence was in the news about it. You know, there were countless women, um, Michelle and now how the hell I'm forgetting Heath Ledger's Williams, Michelle Williams was speaking up about it. Like women were speaking up about me too and equal, unequal pay. But it wasn't until after I left that time up, time's up was actually formed about three weeks after I left. So the timing, you know, again, completely unbeknownst to me, but the timing of me leaving, then saying publicly why I left, because remember, I wasn't allowed to say that on air on my last day. I couldn't exactly go, Hey, all of you watching in 150 countries, by the way, he's paying me shit. And by the way, Jason Kennedy makes double what I make. And that's that's the bullshit. You know, I couldn't, nor would I, but I couldn't 
really explain why I was leaving. Um, so then I, on my blog the next day, I shared my story and then it just caught on like wildfire. And so I did not expect that. And I was kind of thrust into being one of the poster childs for the equal pay movement. But I learned a lot. I learned so much. I mean, I didn't even know when equal pay day was on the calendar prior right. to it affecting me. Sadly, I'm embarrassed to say. So I woke up and then I felt charged because of all of the women I heard from all over the world, women and girls. Keep going. Fight the fight. Use your voice. Don't back down because you do have reach. Please use it for us. And so I was like, I got you. And, and I, I, like I said, I, I've been building my business since leaving E slowly, gradually, but in those first couple of years in particular, it was very, very important for me to go out and speak to the issue. I had a similar situation, not the same publicly, but, and I haven't really, I think I've alluded to it, but I haven't really talked about it. But, and again, probably one of the reasons why you always make me cry is I had a job that I loved. I it's in a few years ago, it was in 2021 that this happened and I worked my fucking ass off. I like didn't take a honeymoon. I did all the things, by the way, anybody listening, you should not do that. You should take a honeymoon, take your PTO. Like I am not leading by example, but I did. I worked so hard. Like I was the top performer. I mean, I was just crushing it, crushing it. And I found out by mistake that I was one of the lowest paid people on the West Coast. Mm. And the moment I found out, and you said something on your podcast where you said you had to, like, you got the information about, you know, your colleague and you had to kind of, like, do the discovery. Like, you kind of almost want to, like, check your sources. And it's a tricky thing because we're conditioned, male or female, not to really discuss, and obviously, I think way more as women, not to discuss what you're paid. And then it's secret. You like keep it to yourself and like you're kind of out for each other. That's how or at least that's how I've felt in the corporate landscape, um, good or bad. It's just kind of what it's been. And I was like, what the fuck? This cannot be right, you know? And I had a girlfriend. We both no longer work there anymore. And I called her and I was like, I'm going to tell you what I make and I'm going to need you to like help me as a friend. Like, can you gut check this with me? Because I don't want to assume everybody. You know what I mean? And I started to kind of yeah. discover and uncover what was going on. And I went to my bot, my direct boss, who was my a, fe- a woman. I invited her to my wedding. I really looked up to her. She's like, oh, yeah, like really encouraged me. She's like, you got to ask for more to the chief, you know, the C-suite. And I did. And it was so fucking terrifying. I was like, hey, like I I'm I I deserve more. And this is why. And this is how much I yield. And I'm a ride or die. And I love you guys. But like, you know, you, I'm pretty upset by this. And it was so interesting because he was so angry that I was asking for more. Um, he ended up coming back and offering me um, less than $1,200 more a year. <laughs> Which was like wild. Um, and the female oh boss stopped speaking to me. I've never spoken to her since. Mm. And it was such a, it's still, it's still fresh. It's a couple years old, but it's still mm. like fucking stings. And I'm like, mm. and it was this thing where I'm like, well, wasn't the, my female boss supposed to be like on my side? And why did they take this so personally? And And something that he said to me when I eventually said no was I wouldn't have played it this way. 
And my oh. wife and my wife and I kind of always say this to each other, like when someone fucks up, <gasps> I wouldn't have played it this way. And I and I looked at him and I said, well, how would you have played it? And that was a moment for me that I do have a hard time sticking up for myself. I always end up like trying. I always try to make people laugh. I always, you know, yeah. I'm self-deprative. Like I'm like, oh, I'm, you know, but I looked at him. I said, how would you have played? And he said, I would have kept my head down and I would have asked for more next year. And I mm-hmm. wonder in your situation, did mm-hmm. you have any, and you don't have, if it's like, Liz, I don't want to talk about it. You can be like, no, but it, even on your team, like, did you have anybody sort of look at you and be like, oh, Kat, why do you have to, like, why are you, why couldn't you just ride it mm-hmm. out? Or like, mm-hmm. why couldn't you just deal? Did you find some resentment mm-hmm. in other people for speaking out about it? Mm. <sighs> Trying to remember, but um, I don't, firstly, most of the people on my team were men, my agents and lawyers, by the way, and they never explicitly told me not to do it, but I will tell you this, when I, because this all happened truly over a 10 month period. Oh, okay. It was that long. It was that long. Well, well, let's see. I mean, yes and no. So, and and just to tell everybody who may or may not know, again, in our industry, a lot of this is contract driven. So if you are a on-air personality or a TV host, you get a deal. It might be two years. It might be four years. Yep. I can't remember how long my contract was at that point, but it was coming to an end. So I had a, a year left in my contract. Come spring, I got the additional responsibilities. I was named the lead host on the Daily Pop. So I would be driving that show two hours a day live and then still be expected to contribute to e-news every afternoon and come on set at least three of the five days a week. Um, It also meant coming in about four hours earlier every single day to prep for those interviews, to prep for live TV, to do all the responsibilities, voiceovers, et cetera. I loved it. Just like you. Dream job. I, a a morning talk space live for me, that was the ultimate. And so they clearly knew my worth or they wouldn't have asked me to take that position and take on that show. So I knew I was taking up the real estate. And I remember asking my wonderful friend and entertainment attorney who has been by my side for many, many years. But I said, this sure seems like a lot of extra work. And I know my contract isn't up to the end of the year, but do I just do this anyway? You know, is this fair to just suddenly give someone double the responsibility, work responsibility and time away? Don't forget. I'm, you know, mom over here, I got two kids at home. Like, I just want to make sure, like, am I doing the right thing by showing up every day at 7am? And he did say, keep doing what you're doing, Kat. You're a, you know, a plus personality. You're a great team player. You go above and beyond. You never rock the boat. You, uh, you know, I've, I never rocked the boat there in 12 years. Like I was the yes girl. I didn't like you. Like, I don't want to cause problems. Like this is a great job. I know I'm lucky. I get it. But I also know I'm good at what I do. So he said his advice then was you're going to host this new show. You're going to be incredible at what you do. And then when negotiations start summer, fall, whatever, then we'll ask for what you're worth. But you know what? You're going to just prove once again, how deserving you are of this money. (laughs) And (laughs) (laughs) right. Exactly. And then I did that. And then what happens? Then the negotiations start over the summer, late fall or early fall. And they were just were not going anywhere. And it was slow as molasses. And so 
to the guy who told you, keep your head down, come back in a year, it wouldn't have made shit difference. It doesn't make a difference. And by the way, $1,200, they, they had that last night on dinner over at the Ivy with the rest of the executives Correct. one failed dinner, like one swoop after a little appetizer. Like that's nothing to them. Oh, it nothing. was. And it's so, so insulting. It was very insulting. And it was funny because I, I got off that and we were on Zoom because it was the pandemic, which was like even worse. And I got off that call and I was like, oh, my God, because I was very is I'm sure you were very close. And I was just like, well, f- I got to go. And I think that's like the the. it's almost a couple. It's like stages of grief, right? You find yeah. out the injustice and you're like, yeah, no way this can't yeah. be happening. And then yeah. again, I was also kind of like the favorite child and always said yes. And then you're like, well, fuck. And then you get angry and then you get sad yeah. and then you're like relieved. But it, it is. is all those stages. It was all of that. I mean, I left and I thought it felt like a death. It took a long time to recover. <laughs> it, was, it was intense. I can imagine. I, I, it's, you know, and it happens in every industry. I get a lot of DMs. People are like, what should I do? And, you know, mm-hmm. I want to change. Do I mm-hmm. have to change mm-hmm. jobs to get a raise? And yeah. I think that's kind of the age old, like, you have to do a huge shakeup to get a raise, which blows. And I actually don't think that should be no, the case. No, it like, shouldn't be. It shouldn't I be. I do think it's changing. I will say in the last five years, because again, I don't work in corporate America anymore, thankfully, frankly. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I hear from so many people that, you know, I finally asked for that raise and you gave me the girl, you know, like pe- women are talking about it more. We are asking for what we deserve more. It's in the conversation. I do think it's shifting. I think employers now know, you know, whether or not at the the core, the heart of hearts, they're doing it because it's the right thing to do, or if they're doing it now, because there's so much backlash if you don't. Like, regardless, I do think progress is being made. Um, and that that makes me happy. I mean, it's all over. I mean, you know, just women's rights in general, like it's at the forefront and equality and what we're worth. And, you know, it's it's not as taboo today. Like, I love that you just got with your girl and you were like, Hey, I got to know what you make. Like, I know this is weird. I had a girl top secret information, but I had a a current female at E working there today who wanted to have coffee with me recently to literally ask me what I made then, because now she's in the exact same boat that I am. And so we got to, we got that sisterhood is important and we have to just keep, you know, being there for other females and you know, keep knocking on the doors. I mean, you did everything right. I mean, you you did what I always tell people to do, like have the proof, keep record of your wins, keep the conversation open with your superiors. You know, those are some of the regrets I had. Like I was too quiet a lot, right? So then suddenly you use your voice at the end, you know, it's kind of like, they're like, huh? They just don't even, they see right over your shoulder, right? So it's true. don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to be knocking on those doors. Don't be afraid to, even if you're interviewing for a job, you know, ask the question, can I be assured that I will be making in the ballpark of, of any male who's going to be working here in the same position? Can I be assured that this is a company that operates that way? That's okay, I think. Yeah. And by the way, if they are offended by you asking that question, you don't want to work there anyway. That's real. <laughs> Very real. Um, you had You talked about your viral moment that you had with Jim Carrey. You also had a viral moment that I still bring up quite often at the Vanity Fair Oscar party last year with Julia oh. Fox. 
which I actually just referenced to a client the other day who's pushing back on me and being like, why is this so expensive? I'm like, did you see Kat Sadler and Phoebe on the red carpet with her like crazy neck? Like she was so stoned. I mean, that with the human hair, your face, which I've watched that clip many, many times just because. What was you, what the fuck were you thinking oh when she gosh. was like, it's human hair? Were you just like, <laughs> this is going to go know. viral? Or were you like, oh, my God, I've been standing here. This is insane. This girl is banana cans. Like, what were you thinking in that moment? You know, I wish I could remember because you would understand. Like, I don't know how many interviews we do <laughs> during that live show. It yeah, might have been 50 at that point. I had probably been on my feet for 10 hours. By the way, wore the worst shoes last year. We'll never, ever do that again. I was literally in pain. I was like, someone's gonna have to call an ambulance. I was like struggling at that point. However, and by the way, she is one of the people I've wanted to get on my podcast because yeah, that did go viral. And I'm like, Let, let's sit down and really talk without the the human hair on the purse and the, you know, the hand grip around your neck. Um, but, you know, I enjoy those moments because it. I, I'm actually not even like judging the person because it's it's just... It's unfolding. That's what I love about live TV. Those are the things you can never predict are going to happen. Those are the things you never expect. And by the way, there is no rehearsed response to that stuff. For all the up and coming young wannabe TV hosts or journalists, like you can't teach how to respond to that shit. <laughs> you know what I no. mean? So, I mean, your response was really, it was, it was epic. It, I mean, because what would you even, and just Phoebe, she, I, I adore her. I love her books. I mean, she's, hysterical but i again i've had to watch it a bajillion times for you probably work. know it better than me because you, i do you probably have the full clip and i was also just seeing what everyone was clipping and putting together on the internet and i will say what's funny is some of the backlash to that was because phoebe and i were tag teaming in that interview and phoebe may have said and you would know Nice, like nice. Like, of course you're going to be civil. You're not going to be like, girl, that is some ugly. This is a bad look. You know, what the hell are you thinking? Of course you can't say that and be respecting someone's creative fashion decisions at that moment. But Phoebe said something like, oh, nice. And in the edit, it's you only see me. And then you see me saying, oh, not. And people thought I said, oh, nice. And then people were like, Oh, Kat's being so fake. She was telling her, oh, nice. And now she's talking shit about her look. And I was like, I didn't say, oh, nice. No, you didn't, didn't say it. You <laughs> were like, say that. Uh, no, you kind of gave like, okay, the like, okay, what okay, the fuck okay, is going okay. on? I mean, it was <laughs> classic. It was really, it was, it was funny. Only just, it was a perfect swirl of yes. where Julia was in her kind of like social media launch and then you just but also like the juxtaposition you're in this like gorgeous gold and you're like right okay got it okay um is (laughs) any tips for somebody in uh because I think there we've got some aspirational journalists here like what would you say to someone is something you've learned that you absolutely do on the red carpet that maybe you had to learn over some time now I wish I had something completely original to say there but it's it's probably more than anything again you can do all of the preparation in the world you can study everything there is to know about everybody you can be so like clear on their work and their projects and everything but I think 
the best interviews are in the moment, you know, like we've just discussed two that went viral that were because you couldn't predict that was going to happen. Jim, you're talking about, you know, existentialism. We've got Julia Fox, you know, with human hair in her bag, like be in the moment and listen, like just drop all the, I'm going to ask these eight questions and this is what I've got planned. And really just try to revert to your like intrinsic organic, um, Ability to like have a conversation because the people at home, the more comfortable they are watching and the more like if you are comfortable, they're comfortable. If you feel like you belong in that moment with, you know, Brad Pitt or Jennifer Aniston or I'm bringing up all Angelina, you know, whomever is standing there, the the people at home are going to feel really comfortable there, too. For me, that's, I think, the recipe. When I sometimes watch live TV now, I just, it's hard to watch because sometimes I feel like the people wielding the mic and the power of that that device, like, are so uncomfortable in their own skin that, like, everything's just off and it really bothers me. But I know that, like, how do you get that? Probably experience and just, again, confidence, but work on that. I mean, it sounds silly, but, like, even if you're in your basement or you're wherever with your phone, I always tell people like, that's the beauty. Now you can watch yourself on camera all hours of the day, interview your family, interview whomever, like get good at it. So you're so comfortable that it doesn't matter who you're talking to. And that ease of the exchange will come through. It'll be great. My one request is please don't post yourself audition tapes on Instagram. Be as comfortable <laughs> as you want. All the people listening. I love you. I believe in you. We are not on Instagram to see your cringy mm. self tapes. That's no. It. That's so you don't. We don't need to see those. You can you can send those. I'm sure Liz will give you some feedback. You just email her those. Oh <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. No. Um, Cat, you're a dream. I adore you. I promise I won't cry next time I see you, and hopefully I'll see you soon. Well, I hope that you know it's like when you when you actually spend time with the people that you from afar have admired or looked up to. I'm always like. Oh, I hope I didn't disappoint you. I hope spending the hour with me didn't make you like me less. So uh, I don't no. want to like like squash any of your your admiration. But no, thank you. It was so fun. Cool, cool, cool. Hopefully this is not the most uncool you've ever done. It's um, very but cool. I appreciate you too. Well, there you have it. I'm in love with Kat Sadler. In a town full of bullshit artists, Kat Sadler is the real fucking deal. <laughs> 